This is the New Nudist Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Klein. This is the podcast for people curious about the nudism and naturism way of life. If you've been thinking about trying out nudism, if it's been a bucket list thing for you, then this is the podcast designed to give you what you need to know in order to try it out. If you're already a nudist, this show is for you too. We hope you learn more about the movement and get more out of your nudist practice. Well, hey everybody, here we go. It's the second episode of 2021. In today's show, we'll hear from Marilyn, a transgender nudist about her first experience with social nudity. I enjoyed my talk with her so much, I can't wait to share it with you. We'll also talk about the do's and don'ts of compliments at a nudist resort and in socially nude situations with Matthew McDermott, the author of the Right Nude blog. It's an important topic for new nudists and seasoned nudists alike. Then for the Nude in the News segment, we'll hear about an article in Psychology Today, Eight Things to Know About Nudity and Your Family, Getting Naked with Your Kids. All of this coming up next in Episode 11 of the New Nudist Podcast. Stick around. Wow, you look amazing nude. Your boyfriend better look out. You know, you're a really beautiful young woman. You're just the kind of young person we like to see become a nudist. So, these are all compliments. They're all positive, all saying something nice about the person they're directed at. And in socially nude situations, they are all the wrong thing to say. In his blog, Write Nude, naturist and writer Matthew McDermott writes about many issues relevant to both new and experienced nudists. And in his post from February 26, 2020, Stop and Think Before Complimenting a Nudist, Matt takes on one of the trickier issues that we deal with as nudists, dealing with well-intentioned compliments. I spoke with Matt recently about why this is such a big issue in social nudity and what it can mean for those on the receiving end how we can av- and how we can avoid making that mistake around the pool or wherever we're in socially nude situations. So here is my interview with Matt. And welcome back to the New Nudist Podcast. I have with me today Matthew McDermott. He writes the Right Nude blog on nudism and naturism, and uh, he wrote an amazing article that I think is relevant to both n- people who are new to nudism and naturism, but also to people who have maybe been doing it for years and years and years. Uh, Matt, welcome to the New Nudist Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Really happy to be on with you. I'm, and, and so t- tell, me, uh, tell, me about, tell me about Write Nude, which is your, your, your blog. How did that get started? How, what drove you to, uh, to, to start it? Well, I uh, published a book on nudism for uh, uh, what I call for uh, interested beginners, people who are interested in it, don't know how to start, don't know how to get involved. And uh, that book has gone really well on Amazon. I'm very happy with uh, uh, how, how well it's done. And that was about uh, almost uh, about two and a half years ago that I put it up there. Mm-hmm. And I reserved the domain name rightnude.com for a while. I was looking into maybe hosting some nudist writing retreats and that kind of thing. And uh, although I haven't quite got those off the ground yet, I thought this is a good place for me to um, 
collect some other thoughts that I have. So stuff that doesn't sort of make it into the book, stuff that's a little more po uh, topical uh, mm. is what I started. And it was, a you know, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to talk about in, in nudism. Um, and I'm not um, a podcaster kind of guy. I'm not a video guy. It's not my uh, home and native land. That's uh, that's writing. So that's why uh, write nudism <laughs> suited me. And, uh, you know, since I started it, every every uh, couple of weeks or so, I try to have something up there um, looking at some facet of this uh, this nudist life. Wonderful. And and the one that, you know, I, I followed your I follow your blog, um, but one that I really found intriguing and really relevant uh, is is your post on compliments. Mm -hmm. And it's February 26, 2020. So it's been out a year. It's stop and think before you compliment a nudist. And tell me what inspired that particular post. Yeah, it wasn't like a specific incident or a specific, um, uh, you know, uh, problem that I'd had or that I'd seen. Although I do see it a lot with online uh, naturist stuff as well. But it's that sort of dynamic that I've witnessed um, being around nudist groups and at nudist resorts and stuff like that, where I, you know, don't get to go as, long, as often as I'd like, but mm -hmm. uh, whenever I do get to go there. And it's, um, there's an intrinsic power mismatch uh, that our society has uh, in various contexts, various people can have power, but in general, um, you know, we have this thing where men, uh, it comes out in a lot of different ways, but men catcall women, men make suggestive comments to women, and that's not what we're talking about here. That's not something that is normal in a nudist context. But I also witnessed more subtle interaction, mm. and that's where, uh, like, a, an older guy would say to a younger woman, um, you know, oh, uh, I bet your boyfriend's worried about you being here, or, um, you know, uh, a, a good-looking woman, uh, by any sort of objective sense, somebody would, uh, a guy would say, "Oh, you look fantastic," or "Oh, you, you know," or something. And again, not making overtly sexual comments or anything on its own in a completely neutral zone that would that would really um, sound terrible. But mm -hmm. and that's why I wrote the article is because I see that, and I don't really see anybody talking about how this causes a great deal of discomfort and, and uh, it creates a, a very negative environment or hostile environment for women in, uh, um, in, in nature's uh, context. And actually, I remember one of the things that, that got me going on the article was actually um, another uh, nature's podcaster, uh, Yannick Taylor, who does the um, Naked Colors podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, she was mentioning how she had had this where somebody on, on her podcast said that she had had this where uh, somebody uh, had made some reference to her body. And it was a positive reference, but she was very uh, um, unsettled by it. And that's what got me really thinking about it. Um, and I've also, you know, I have friends in the nudist Twitter sphere and whatnot. Uh, uh, Cleo McKeever, the topless topics advocate, uh, she often, often gets um, uh, these ridiculous comments about her. And her whole point is to desexualize women's breasts by uh, exposing them and making them non uh, remarkable. And yet, like an elbow. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And constantly, and even from self professed nudists. I see this constantly that there's comments on Twitter, on her uh, Discord, on her uh, news feed, or on her um, video chats, that kind of thing. It's 
constant. And that's what, so that's where it came from was me figuring out why this problem exists and, and what are we as nudists, how are we to look at it and how are we to do something about it? What do you think is behind, so when you hear these, and I hear these compliments too, mm-hmm. um, and, and often, not exclusively, often it's an older man mm-hmm. and giving it to often a younger woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you, what do you think's going through these guys' heads? Well, I think, I, I don't necessarily think men are doing this in order to uh, make women uncomfortable or to express that power imbalance or that power dynamic. But I think that there's something to that. I think there, we're conditioned as a society to put ourselves in certain places. And I think men in a certain age and in a certain context will decide that they have this um this, this uh, uh, position that they uh, can express in certain ways. And I mean, we're always, it's a complex dance that we do as humans in every context. But um, I think that it it's a natural thing for a man to say something or, or to think to say something that sort of expresses whatever place he wants to express. And that doesn't mean, as I said, I don't think men are trying to get something over on women or, or, or say something uh, overt with these compliments. But I think it does have that uh, angle to it as well, that men are saying, um, you know, I am in a, a, a different position from you and I'm, I'm showing you that. There's also, honestly, there, there is a sexual element to these com- compliments. And I think that there's a certain amount of that too. It's sort of testing the waters. It's a matter of trying to uh, see if there's an angle there, if there's a, uh, a connection there. And it's the kind of connection that uh, men can make without any threat or harm and women cannot receive without feeling threatened or harmed. You talk about in the, in the post about sort of an implicit judgment. Right. Like that, even even if you're saying something like, hey, you're just the kind of young person we want to see become a nudist, mm-hmm. um, which may not have any, you know, which the guy who's, you know, assuming it would be a guy says that, you know, may not really be thinking about how that would be received. Yeah. Um, and is really thinking, I'm just, you know, I'm just in, being encouraging. I'm trying to kind of encourage somebody to kind of come back and, and but, uh, you know, often, and, and there's a generational aspect to this too, right? So a lot of, sure. a lot, you know, a lot of the comments that I've heard made are generally not by 20 year olds, mm-hmm. you know, generally by, by older, older folks where, you know, maybe when they were 20, that wasn't seen as an inappropriate thing to say. Um, and, but now, you know, now that we're a little bit more aware um, and a little bit more um, concerned about how things are taken, um, it, it, it might have a different aspect. But there is this sort of judging aspect to it. Yeah, and I, I note, note that a lot of these compliments do come to uh, you know, they're directed at people who are, you know, by the objective societal beauty standard, uh, attractive and something that we as naturists should be working against, whether in our own thinking yes. or in, in, in the general societal thinking. Um, and I guess the question that I would have if I were to receive a compliment like that is, if I gained 50 pounds, would you say the same thing then? 
And mm. because they are saying you are the, you know, it's loaded. And whether people realize those compliments are loaded or not, they are, and they're the ones loading them, you know. Um, and I think about how I interact with, let's say, coworkers who are 20 years my junior. I would never say a thing like that to a coworker. Why would I say that to uh, somebody I met at a nudist resort, standing in line uh, at, at the bar or at the lunch counter yeah. or something like that? And particularly somebody who's who's in a very vulnerable position, right? Uh, yes. I mean, you, you know, you're stripped of everything. Yes, um, and, and it only increases that vulnerability, which is the opposite of what we're trying to do uh, in, an, in a nudist context. Like our whole idea is we have a shared vulnerability because we look past those things and it ruins it for people when, uh, when we refuse to sort of respect that, uh, that, that vulnerability that the other person has. You know, I think we often talk about how we want more young people to come to the club. So we want more women to come to the clubs and feel uh, more people of color, more all the ways you can kind of think about diversity. Um, do you do you think that these these compliments are maybe more directed in that at them than you know, they're more likely to be directed at them in, in ways that might, you know, try from the sender uh be trying to be encouraging but they don't realize that it's going to be actually as you say have the opposite effect and make people feel like wow this is not for me and and scare them away yeah and i think that is the effect and i think the problem is um we tend to see as a society, despite the progress we've made in the last uh, couple of generations, we tend to see uh, things like gender imbalances and uh, uh, lack of diversity as a problem of those who are absent. So we say we think gender imbalance is because women aren't showing up. Lack of diversity is because people of color and various ethnic and, and uh, racial backgrounds uh, are not showing up. And what we don't realize, what we tend need to start thinking about is how it's a male problem, it's a white problem. And that's all mm. there is to it. And so what we do and say as a white male, and you and I are both on that end of the spectrum. And, we are. Uh, we have to, we and those among uh, who cluster at that end of the spectrum do have to be conscious of this, that what we say and do does uh, have a huge effect on what other, how others perceive the space and perceive the interaction. And that means that if a young woman is there and we call attention to the fact that they are good looking, and again, it's not meant in a, even if it's not meant in a bad way, not meant in a sexual way, it does tell them that they are, uh, they are being looked at in that way. And that means that the male gaze is just as present here as it is elsewhere. And uh, it, it clearly sends a message that their participation in a nudist space does, has baggage that they didn't intend to bring with them. Um, and that, I, I mean, that can perfectly well go for young men as well and that kind of thing. Uh, uh, I think women, again, that power dynamic just exists in our society still. And mm -hmm. I think, and uh, it would be the same thing, I think, if we were to say to, and uh, again, this is maybe a little off topic, but uh, to say to a person of color, it's so great to see a black person here or somebody of a different skin color or whatever. Yeah. Um, it tells them that they stick out, that they're remarkable. And it tells them that they are not part, they're separate. We've, we've singled them out. Instead of us uh, acting like they're our new friend and we are here to welcome them. 
you know yes um as a person not as a, so so it, it's it's bringing out it's identifying these differences identifying these characteristics that really is the problem and whether we identify them in a good way or a bad way it sends that message that you are different or you are uh, uh, uh recognized as having some qualities that is contrary to the nature the way naturists should be seeing each other you know i think the term is microaggression right it's mm -hmm. it's not it's not something that's necessarily overtly aggressive, but it has, it has the effect of, of being one more time yeah. that they're objectified, one more time that they're called out as being different. And here they are coming into a space where, you know, we tell them that everybody's equal. You know, we've all, we're all naked and, and everyone's equal. And, um, you know, again, I've, I've talked about this on other other shows as much as we would love that to be the case. And, and some people do contend that that is the case. I, I don't. I don't think that, you know, it's it's ever completely equal um, because there are some things that you just can't strip off. Um, you know, I can't change the fact that I'm a white man. Um, and, and there's there's just going to be uh, always that that's always going to be visible and always going to be present and all the baggage that goes with that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's those sort of little things matter and can make people feel that this is just not for them. And we tell ourselves as naturists that we're different. We have a different content. We, we make a different space and that's, what's important. And I, there was a recent, um, nature's living show, uh, episode where some single women in naturism were uh, interviewed and one woman made a really amazing uh, remark that she felt she was checked out more at the gas station on the way to the uh, nature's club than at the nature's club itself and that's what we're trying to get right yes but if a woman feels and as white men we often are uh, oblivious to this to our uh, our uh, not not necessarily to any for any fault of our own but we're oblivious to the constant male gaze for example and um if we start to make these compliments it's not even an aggression but it tells women the thing that i hate in regular life the thing that makes me uncomfortable in many situations in regular life is present here too it makes everything that we say about naturism a lie and yeah. uh, as soon as we create that uh, sense of being noticed being judged being sexualized and again all these compliments end up with a sexual component whether we want it or not because we are physically judging people we are making that connection and yes. it makes the space uh it makes everything that we say about our 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 philosophy a lie and that's why it's so important for us to be conscious of it and to avoid it as well as to call out others when we see it and you know part of what we're we, we want to be able to do here is uh you know make it aware make aware make people aware of it and yeah. what how their seemingly innocent comments uh make people feel uncomfortable so if we were to come up with a don't do list and a do list. So as you're as you're about to open your mouth at the pool, uh, what are some of the what are some of the filters that 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 you and I should be thinking about as we're about to open our mouth and say something to somebody that we've never met before, uh, who happens to be walking or saying, "Hey, is this seat taken?" Well, I think uh, number one is that all the things we, we have to be conscious of that that philosophy that we say that we have and all those things that we say that don't matter size shape color uh disabilities 
markings, all of that, basically any physical thing that nobody, that people may, may have no control over. Those are things to avoid. Um, and that by avoiding uh, remarking on those in any way, positive or negative, um, that's, uh, uh, you know, that, that goes a long way towards making it real, that, that philosophy that we say we have. Uh, another good sort of mental exercise is if I were to say the opposite, would it be, you know, uh, like, offensive? Yeah. Um, oh, give me an wow, example. You're really in shape. Would it be okay to say, wow, you're really fat? Obviously not. And that's something that, you know, um, it, like we, whether we realize it or not, we're deciding we're on a spectrum of what we're saying. And that's a, a, a good way to say, I'm, if I'm even on that spectrum, I'm in the wrong place. You know, oh, great. Now, it's I think it's probably even uh, like I avoid in, in nature's thing. Like I wouldn't say to uh, a, a woman, you know, uh, I really like how you've done your hair or something like that, because, again, it brings things back to that uh, uh, physical realm. Um, I think that the places where we tend to want to go is what what brings us together, not what makes you not what singles that person out, but what brings us together. So. Oh, uh, I haven't seen you here before. Is this your first time? You've been here often. Or, hey, this is my first time here. Are you a regular here? Um, do you know when the volleyball tournament's starting? That kind of thing. You know, those are the kinds of things that are neutral. They are outside of that person and can lead to a much more interesting and enriching conversation as well. Because the other thing to think about is if if you give somebody a compliment, that what's what's the response that they can give? You've given them just a thanks or a you know, brush off or something like that. There's nowhere that leads. Let's find mm. ways to connect as people. Um, the food here, food here is great. Uh, have you tried this beer that they've got on tap? Something like that. You know, there's very, there's many neutral things that we can talk about. Um, and that's where I found, um, you know, when I've had conversations with strangers in nature's context, that's where the best conversations tend to go anyway. I can hear some of, some of the people maybe listening to the show um, and I've heard, I've literally heard people say this at the club, uh, they're being too sensitive. You know, everybody's too sensitive. They're just being snowflakes. They should just get over it. I'm just trying to be nice. I'm not trying to say anything. What do we say to those people? Uh, it's funny because, uh, the compliments article, uh, is the most commented article on, on my blog by far. <laughs> what do you uh, get? Why, why, why. We're well over hundred comments and they come in, we still get them, you know, every, every once in a while. Um, and that has been uh, not uh, not the majority, but a significant component of those compliments has been, hey, it's just a compliment. Why are you taking it? So whatever. And that is um, one of those things that we can say when we've never had to deal with the negative side of it. Um, it's easy for us to not uh, worry about how a compliment is taken if we've never been in a position where a compliment has made us uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's why I think empathy is such an important component of this. You know, we, uh, as I said, we have a shared vulnerability when we're naked together. That's one of the most joyous things. Uh, we, you know, that feeling of, of openness and, and like so many things fall away from us uh, mentally and, and emotionally and spiritually when we can be naked together and not have that as a thing. Right. Um, and what we have to understand is that we have to allow others to find that as well. And we can't if we're making them uncomfortable. So are they too sensitive? Fair enough. What are you doing to still allow us to exist together happily in this naked space? Mm. Um, and I, it's very easy to put blame on the other person. What have you done to create that 
feeling of sensitivity you know like that yeah. and i don't want to get into the whole like when you start saying terms like privilege there are people who will automatically discount it uh because they don't have privilege uh usually what a privileged person says um <laughs> but uh it it really does intersect with that kind of thinking that if you're never at risk you never see risk yes. and uh that's one of the things that that i, I think the confidence article was meant to do was to help people see this is why this is what it says that you may not mean to say but you're saying anyway i lo i love the idea that you had sort of like if you're going to say compliment think about you know what would the insult version of that be and would that be appropriate yeah. you know well you are just the sort of person we do not want to see here yeah. at the nudist club yeah yeah. Whereas, uh, yeah. Whereas, Flip it around, and, and if it and if it if it sounds bad to you, don't say it. So anything anything objectifying. And, and you know, when you think of the other suggestions that I had for things that I've you know conversations I remember striking up, wow, the food here really sucks. That's not going to hurt the other person. It may be yeah. untrue, and it may be the, but it's not going to be personal to them. Yeah. And uh, the weather's terrible today. The pool's too cold. You know, yeah. uh, these None are things of those are, things are going to have people, you know, not want to come back. Exactly. Exactly. They may avoid that. Uh, they may not. They may pack a lunch. They may avoid the, the outdoor pool, but they can still be there and they're not feeling like it's them. And they're feeling welcome and a part of a part of this just as much as we as much as we do. Exactly. And and that's what we want to do. We want to make this world a neuter place and make make this a place where everybody feels like nudism and naturism is for them. Exactly. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this is a great article. Gonna, there's going to be a link to it in the show notes um, and also his, his podcast and also his book, How to Take Your Clothes Off, A Guide to Nudism for the Interested Beginner. Uh, so we'll have links for both of that. And Matt, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for joining us on the new, new, new Nudist podcast today. Thank you as well. And uh, we'll talk to everybody soon online. For my nude story today, we have an amazing conversation with Marilyn. She's a transgendered woman who recently tried and loved social nudity. She was introduced to me through mutual friends, and she is so brave and so lovely. And I'm grateful that she had the courage to come forward and share her story with you. I'm not going to say much more. I'm going to let the interview stand on its own. So here is my interview with Marilyn. Marilyn, thank you so much for being on the New Nudist podcast with me today. Well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to uh, having a uh, little time to spend to talk to you about this. Great. Well, we're doing this on Zoom, so you and I get to see each other, um, yeah. and uh, and I'm really glad we can do that. Same here. Uh, so tell let's let's tell our listeners how we first got connected. Well, um, September a year ago, I happened to meet a couple of people who live in Glen Eden, and. Um, so as we were chatting and, you know, when you meet somebody, say, where do you live and that sort of stuff. And they told me Glen Eden Sun Club, which I never heard of. So uh, I also told me there was a, a nudist club down in the LA area. And I mentioned that I was going to be in Palm Springs in November and maybe we should, you know, meet up some, some, sometime. I, I was interested in learning more. 
Uh, and they said, well, great. Uh, we're actually going to be in Palm Springs. So it turned out they were there the same time I was. So we exchanged phone numbers. And, and uh, in the meantime, they said, take a look at the Glendean website and look at uh, American Association of Nude Recreation. And uh, we'd love to have you come visit. Wow. So anyway, I uh, uh, did that. I met them in Palm Springs. Uh, we made a plan. I would come over and spend the day with them. And that was my first social nude experience. Um, and I found I really enjoyed it so much that while I was still in Palm Springs, I went back for a second time. So it was a, a wonderful experience and is really, uh, uh, I wouldn't say piqued my interest. It's, it's, it's really furthered my interest. In, so is this in particular so, so social nudism? What, tell me, tell me about that first experience. Um, how were, were you nervous? How did this, how did it feel? <laughs> well, when I uh, looked at the website of Glen Eden, uh, I noticed uh, for first time visitors, and they talked about the fact that you had to take a tour in the nude. And I went gulp. <laughs> I thought, oh boy. <laughs> it was all theoretical <laughs> until that moment. Yes, right? my up to that. So uh, I had a number of discussions because I am transgender. Uh, which they knew uh, about that before when we met in Palm Springs before I went over there. So um, this was with the couple you met, right? With the couple I met, and uh, and they kind of set my concerns aside. But the first experience uh, when uh, uh, I, I checked in the resort and then met them, they were in, a, in the golf cart <laughs> and to take me on a tour. And they were nude, and and so I, you know, they went up to a place where I could change, and I, uh, I think I I was nervous, but uh, pretty quickly after I joined them back in the golf cart without any clothes on, that uh, I felt actually very comfortable, as in particular as we uh, drove around the club and and we met some people along the way, some friends of theirs, and 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 looked at what the facilities were. Um, such that um, pretty soon I had to think about the fact I don't have any clothes on. You would forget. Yeah. So. Uh, so so anyway, I I was surprised at how comfortable I felt and how quickly. Wow. And and you came back again. And now yes. this was was that just on your own or were you were you with that couple as well? No, I made made arrangements to come back again. Now the first time I was there. Uh, they introduced me to pickleball, which I, yes. um, I have a local park here that had turned a tennis court into four pickleball courts, but I never had a chance to play it. So I was very interested in trying, uh, finding I'm not nearly as, uh, <laughs> I knew we'd need a lot of help. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but that was fun. It. It's and, fun right? and, and we went to the pool um, and uh, hung out at the pool for a bit in the conversation tub and met, you know, I just met people. Uh, along the way, uh, I had lunch at their place. They had another friend of theirs join us. And, uh, you know, it's just like talking to people that you've known for a while. You feel very, at least I did, I felt very comfortable. Wow. And, 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 and I felt so comfortable. I thought, I want to do this again before I have to return to my home. So wow. uh, made arrangements to come over there on a Sunday and actually did pickleball again. Uh, Pickleball is fun when you do it naked. I mean, it's fun anyway, but it's even yeah. It's, it, I mean, if I had a chance, if I had some people here I could play with, I'd love to do it. I'd love to at least try and improve. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but I did nude yoga. I found out I'm really not nearly as good a shape or strong as I think I might be. We all start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was a very, very good experience, but the people I met were all so friendly and so, uh, welcoming and, and, uh, and I thought, you know, I, I, I like the people I met. I like the environment. So, um, and so, and remind me, this was, this was a year ago, right? Yes. This was a year ago, actually, uh, November, early November. And w so you went back home mm -hmm. and did you do any more nudie stuff after that? Yeah. I, I mean, it was on my mind quite a bit. So I, uh, one of the things that my friends told me is I should take a look at the American Association of Nude Recreation website. Yes. Anna. So I did that. I, I noticed that they had a bulletin. I read everything I could and I debated about joining. So I finally in, I think early spring, as we're all being locked down, yeah. I, I decided I'm going to join. And so from there, I, uh, well, actually, even before that, when I looked, looked at their website, I realized that there was a place that is probably 40 minutes from where I live, mm. uh, one of their uh, clubs. And uh, so I decided I wanted to go, but I kept looking at the club website and because of COVID and the restrictions they have where I live, um, basically all their facilities were shut down. I mean, they have hiking, so you can go hiking. And so I kept looking at hoping that that's gonna change. Anyway, by the end of summer, I thought, okay, I'm just gonna go and uh, just take, take a look at the facilities at least. Uh, and I did that, I called ahead and. Um, told him I was coming and, uh, uh, you know, I signed in and they have not a tour like, like they have at Glen Eden because it's not a big place. Sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was there. I, I decided I would go look at the pool because uh, I saw at least there was a couple up there. While it's not open, it looked like there was some sunbathing. But there was a small pickle, there was a, a pickleball court they have. And as I walked past, this couple had just finished playing and, and uh, we started to talk. And they were just so friendly and, and so nice. Um, and I felt really comfortable. So I went out there probably seven times uh, this past summer. And wow. I haven't, I, I, I'm planning to join. Uh, because everybody I met was extremely friendly and nice. And, um, you know, you just feel very comfortable. Yeah. And you felt pretty comfortable in your own skin? Well, that was a big question because I am transgender. Um, I'm what in our community is referred to as post-op. So I've had a couple of operations and, um, before I went to Glen Eden, I had a number of discussions with my friends about that and about, uh, you know, am I going to be stared at? Am I going to feel uneasy? Um, and um, Cindy assured me that that wasn't the case. She said, everybody here has had some operations, some, some, some nobody's going to pay any attention. Don't worry about it. We all have scars. They all have scars. And so I, uh, uh, when I got over there, um, pretty soon lost my concern about uh, how I looked. I mean, I, I've gone through operations to try and make my outside match my inside. 
Uh, and for people who are trans, I think they understand that. And, and but anyway, so I, I pretty soon lost lost any concern. Now, when I went out to the group that is over where I live, I had the same concern that you know people were going to look and comment or say something. Never once. So, matter of fact, it leads to a bigger question for me. Yeah, and what's that? And that question is, you know, who do I tell? When do I tell? And it's very interesting, you know, when you're trans, uh, you grow up and you're in a closet, uh, like me. I'm, I'm, I'm the um, poster child for late blooming. Yeah. Uh, on both trans and then on coming out as a, as a nudist. So, um, it's a lot of coming out. A lot of coming out. I've been throwing doors open left and right. <laughs> I, hope, I hope there are no more. I don't, I'm tired of that. But I do find the similarities, like who do you tell, when do you tell, and how do you tell? And so go. as I have met the people at the place I went to this summer, I mean, I never talked to them about it, I never asked about it, but I've always worried that my voice is, uh, you know, sounds like a truck driver. Um, uh, I, I was felt pretty comfortable in my appearance. Uh, so I wasn't concerned so much about that. But when you transition as the late in life from male to female, uh, there's some lingering effects. I, um, hair is a big issue. Sure. So, um, I uh, have what's known as male pattern baldness. So there's, I don't think transplants are gonna help me. I've tried growing out my hair, so I wear wigs all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, on the other hand, I grew up as uh, around a lake. Uh, I love swimming. Matter of fact, my first experiences were skinny dipping in that lake. Ah. Until one of the neighbors saw me and talked to my mother, my mother told me to knock it off. <laughs> um, and all these years later. And all these years. I mean, that, that feeling. From, yes, I was sir. probably eight years old of swimming without my swimsuit on. Yeah. It stayed with me for all my life, for 70 years now. I still remember it. And that's one of the things that when my friends, when I met that couple uh, and they said they lived in Glendine, it's, it reminded me and I thought, I want to know more about this. So wow. those childhood memories um, stayed. And wow. so anyway, so I have this male pattern baldness thing. So if I go swimming, uh, I have a wig on and, and I have this, you know, worst scenario picture of um, my wig floating off my head. <laughs> Yep. Coming course, by going, there's a dead rat in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, uh, um, so right, right now, I, I, when, matter of fact, when I was in Glen Eden, uh, that first day, we met a young woman who had a beanie on and uh, saw her later in the day without her beanie and she had her head shaved. Something I had been thinking about doing for a long time because yeah. uh, I, would get up in the morning and go to bed at night without the wig on, and I would see the guy. Yeah. That bothered me greatly. So, actually, after that first day, I stayed at Glenine's. I went home and I shaved all the head, all my hair off, and I've been doing that since then. And how does that feel? Good. I mean, at least I look at the, when I look myself in the mirror, I don't see him any longer. Oh, that's huge. Um, I did feel a little self conscious down in, um, Palm Springs, I, after I shaved my head, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't tan. 
It wasn't hand, okay. Like, like the rest of me. It looked kind of like a cue ball sitting on top of it. <laughs> you know. So, uh, um, but I did actually sit out by the pool without the wig on. Now, I haven't done that up at the place I go here locally, yeah. and, and, uh, but I'm very tempted to. Sure. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're, you're joining us today because one of the things that we want to be able to do with this podcast is really um, introduce nudism to people who might not think it's for them. And um, I, I would think, and, and I'd love your, your, your take on this, that maybe trans people feel like this isn't necessarily for them. And um, so uh, that's one of the reasons I'm just so thrilled that you're here and you're willing to kind of talk about your experience in nudism as a trans person. Um, and I also recognize that maybe some of our listeners don't, you know, might not necessarily know somebody that they know is trans. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'd love to just talk a little bit more about that in your experience as a trans person, if that's okay. I, I would love to. Um, How long have you known? I've seen yeah. studies that say that 90%, 95% of the people in the United States have never met somebody who's trans. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we are getting more and more publicity and recognition. Uh, there was just recently a, an Oscar-nominated act, actor now, but actress who came out as, as male, mm -hmm. uh, Ellen Page, or Elliot Page now. Um, so, so people are seeing it more. I mean, the, the most famous one perhaps was Caitlyn Jenner, uh, but still, we're we're a very small group, and, and and not a lot of people have a chance to meet us. So, um, in the trans community, uh, there are various labels. There's various. Um, uh, if 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 I may, the the word transgender is really kind of an umbrella term. Mm. So um, there are people who are just crossdressers. So they they dress and, and do something, you know, go out together, go out to dinner or something like that. And then they, they come home and get changed and go on with their male life. Uh, there's other people who, uh, because of gender dysphoria, feel like they really need to transition, but because of the expense of transitioning, uh, do, uh, forego having any operations. And then there's others like myself, and those people are often referred to as pre-op. Okay. Uh, then there's people like myself who, fortunately, because insurance is now covering some of these operations, have been able to um, align the body on the outside with what we have felt for a long time on the inside. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the experiences and things that as a trans person you go through, um, I see a little bit of that in, in nudism uh, for years. I mean, I, I first sensed there was something wrong with me when I was about four or five years old. There wasn't anybody to talk to. There wasn't any place I could go to look. There, and so for roughly 50 years of my life, almost for 45 years of my life, I carried this secret. I thought it was very shameful. I mean, that's some this desire to be or dress as a woman is something, you know, as a male, you just, particularly when you grow up in the 40s and 50s. Exactly. 60s. I mean, you just don't do that. 
nor do you tell people you want to do that. So, um, so I kept it hidden for a long, long time. Uh, and when I finally came to um, understand this about myself, it was still another 25 years before I, where I would just at night would go out with some friends, uh, get dressed and come home and change and, and kept it secret from my family, my friends, my neighbors. And, uh, and, and of course my employer, I was afraid, afraid I, if they found out I'd get fired. I was afraid I'd lose my family if they found out. So it was one of those things you keep hidden. Um, and, uh, I, uh, I've been married twice. Uh, my second wife, uh, tragically and sadly in 2011 passed away from cancer. Mm, I'm sorry. So, um, after that, um, well, a, a year later, I was think, thinking about this and realized that those reasons that I said I could never transition because of family and job and really had changed substantially. I was retired by then. I, my spouse had passed away. My kids were grown and well established on their own. Um, and so I started to think about, would I ever transition? And a thought went through my mind um, quite a bit is that I didn't want to be on my deathbed going, I had a chance to transition and I didn't. And I thought, oh boy, what a regret. What a you know, if I was going to pass away and with that on my mind, I don't know what the afterlife is, if there is, but anyway, that, that bothered me tremendously. Sure. So I started to, uh, so I went to my healthcare provider and I said, what services and resources do you have for people like me? And that started me on the path to actually uh, living my life as a uh, full, full time as I always envisioned it. And, uh, that's who you I were. Once looked back. In fact, my first wife, the mother of my children, has told them and said, Your dad is really happy now. Wow. Wow. So, you know, you mentioned that there are in your in your eyes some, some commonalities between being transgender and, and, and being a nudist or naturist. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sort of coming out to who and, and when and, um, but you know, as you were talking about that, you know, your experience and being concerned about your friends and your family, you know, I, I completely resonated with that, right? Um, I don't, you know, there are people who know and people who don't, um, you know, it's uh, for in my world and I would love for everybody to know uh, but I feel like there's, there are people, I can't risk it with some folks. And I feel like I don't want to risk my, my actual job, uh, my non-podcasting job, because, uh, you know, I don't, this pays nothing, but, but, you know, um, but, uh, yeah. So I, it just really resonated with me when you were saying that. Um, I, um, You know, there's a number of, to me, almost similar similarities um, in terms of experiences and stuff. I mean, one I mentioned, I think, earlier was that whole question about who do you tell, when do you tell, and how do you tell. Yeah. And I think I've read every article in the bulletin, past issues, 
about when do you come out or what situations you come out and, and, and tell people. Uh, because when I decided to transition, I mean, I had to tell my family, I had to tell my friends, I had to tell my neighbors. Um, and, uh, and that's a bit of a process. So can I, can I ask and, did you, did you lose any friends? I was fortunate. I was very fortunate. I mean, I've heard many stories of people who've decided to transition and they've lost their family. They lost their job. There was a recent Supreme court decision related to that issue. Um, and, um, so, I mean, the experiences of a lot of trans people are, are not, I, I, I feel blessed and fortunate that, that mine have been, um, been fine uh, yep. in that regard. Uh, but, um, you know, I, 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 it's interesting because one of the things that drove me crazy, if you will, uh, before I transitioned was basically living a double life. You know, I was a professional by day uh, guy, and at night sometimes, uh, under the cover of darkness, I was going out dressed as a woman. Yeah. And and always worrying, particularly about the neighbors seeing me or something like that. So, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so this whole thing about who I tell, etc., is is something I'm wrestling with right now. I've told several friends of mine; none of them want to join me at my local club so far <laughs> to see. so when you say you've told uh, several friends you mean you've told several friends about, about yes okay uh, the yeah, other company. i i have a, a, a part i have a weekly zoom call with a trans social group and there are eight people uh seven of us are trans women and there's one trans man and one of the trans women was remarking having been in spain and take taking her top off because a lot of people, a lot of ladies on the beach had taken their tops off. Sure. I thought, okay, well, this is an opening. So I said, well, and then I told them about being, <laughs> going to Glen Eden. And, what uh, was the reaction? Well, it was kind of like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> you would think if anybody would like be, you know, yeah, like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, that's just it. I mean, we're, you know, we're a group. Really open-minded people. Yeah, it needs to be. If we're not, there's something wrong because we want people to accept us. Yes, of course. So, um, so do how we. can we ourselves not go out and accept other people? I remember you made a comment in a podcast one time about uh, about diversity and about acceptance and that sort of stuff, and that really resonated with me. Um, so um, anyway, I'm. Uh, I have not yet, I have two children, they're both grown. One lives in this area, one lives in Tucson. And uh, I have not yet told them. Although uh, my daughter who lives in Tucson, and, and son-in-law, son uh, I plan to see in April. Okay. Uh, and uh, they own a place in Spain, uh, north of Barcelona, to which they plan to permanently move at, if, as long as coronavirus uh, doesn't stop it. Um, at the in early May of next year, so I'm going to go down there to see them. But uh, there's also a resort down there, uh, uh -huh. Mara Vista, and uh, it looks to be about a half an hour from the place where I say I'm a timeshare owner. So it's about a half an hour from the timeshare, uh, and so I plan to uh, go over there and and see it. And I think when I do that, I'm 
uh, or before I do that, I want to tell my daughter. So, and the other thing, if, 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 if when they do move to Spain, I would love to go visit. I have never been to Spain, but uh, certainly um, there is a number of places in Spain. Oh yeah. Fun, fun to go see, I, I would think. Yeah. So, so I'm uh, thinking about now, my son and daughter-in-law and grandkids, I'm not sure yet. I'm still yeah. a little uncomfortable there. Yeah. Do you, um, do you think, how do you think most transgender people, if they were thinking about nudism, would think about if they really wanted to try it, do you think that they would be more likely to do it in like maybe an informal way, like, you know, skinny dipping in a, in a, versus what you did, which is kind of go into a club. Do you think that, that, that they would maybe feel a bit safer in that environment or, and, and what would you, what would you say to that? Well, I think I, because I've wrestled with this and I haven't really come up with a good answer, but as I mentioned, there's, um, there's pre-op and post-op. Now post-op for trans women and trans men would be, uh, for, for trans women like myself, usually there's two things. Well, breast augmentation, if you haven't developed enough yep. breast tissue to satisfy your inner feminine feeling, I guess. Sure. And the other is uh, what we euphemistically refer to as bottom surgery. Yep. So um, if you have not had the bottom surgery, if you're post-op, I'm not sure that you'd feel comfortable going just because of the way you look. So if I were a trans man, I mean a trans woman, and I was pre-op, right? Mm -hmm. Had not had the bottom yeah. surgery, then I might have, I might have breasts. I might have, you know, mm -hmm. kind of surgically, surgically augmented breasts, but I'd still have a penis, right? Right. So yeah. I'm not sure if somebody who's in that position would feel comfortable going. They, they might like the whole idea, yeah. they might uh, go to a nude beach, for instance, uh, uh, or, uh, but if they go to a club, I would, I'm not sure if they would. Um, it, it's a really individual feeling. I mean, the, the, the overriding thing for me is we all just want to be accepted for who we are. And so hopefully that would not be a barrier uh, for them to do something that, um, I mean, based on my limited experience, I find I've, I found very enjoyable. I found the people to be um, so open and accepting. And um, so I, I'm not sure where I would fall on that. I mean, if I saw somebody, I would be fine with me, but I'm not sure how the rest of the population feels. Um, one of the things I was encouraged by uh, after joining uh, American Association of Nude Recreation is their non-discrimination policy, but I was in particularly uh, encouraged by the one for the, the, the Northwest region mm. because it specifically mentions all gender identities. And that's our issue or issue in the trans community. We're about gender identity. We're not about sexual orientation. Yeah. So, um, so I was particularly pleased to see that. I noticed, I think in this month's bulletin, uh, so, uh, on one of the pages is actually has the Northwest thing and then listed again of, of all the, the uh, people that they recognize and support. So, yeah. 
That's uh, well, you know, I hope somebody from Anna is listening um, and and addresses that. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm not sure if you go to Southwest Region or you went to the South. Anyway, if they all subscribe and 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 they list, by the way, on that Northwest one, they list the the uh, clubs in the Northwest that support that that have signed on to that. That that's okay. And the club that I have gone to uh, is one of those. So I. I wonder if um, if some of the people listening might not know necessarily what questions to ask and what not to ask of a trans person. Um, are there are there some things that you know? Because I, I, this this show is about sort of helping people feel comfortable and knowing what to do and what not to do in order mm -hmm. to enjoy social nudity. And uh, what 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 should people ask or not ask? Well, one of the big questions that in our community is really a no-no is, have you had surgery? However, if you're at a nudist club, that answer, you're, that, that question is pretty much answered without asking. All secrets are revealed, yes. Yes. Um, but one of the things, I mean, there, there's a variety of things that people get. You know, what bathroom do you use? You know, huh. and, and to us, it's, it's you use the bathroom with the gender in which you identify. Yes. We're not there to create a problem, I mean, more than likely the trans person is anxious to get in and out. I remember when I was first started going out, if I was in a restaurant, I tried to pick the seat at the table that faced the bathroom so I could watch to see um, if maybe, hopefully there wasn't anybody in there and I could make a quick beeline and go in, do my business and get out before anybody saw me. So uh, there is that. Um, some people assume that uh, because you're trans, you know, you'd be gay. So for instance, I'm, I would be gay. That's, you know, I transitioned to female and I want to attract men. That's not really true. It's not about orientation. It's just about identity. Wow. And so you can be um, still a, uh, it, uh, attracted to women, even though you transitioned to one, or you could be attracted to men or not. <laughs> but those are two separate things. They are absolutely, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't really realize that there's, this is a, um, these are two separate and distinct issues. Um, people may ask about, can I see a picture of you before you transitioned? Um, and uh, again, leave it up to the trans person to answer this, but uh, a lot of trans people don't want to show you a picture. I'm not sure if on my phone, for instance, I have any pictures of what I used to look like. I don't think I do. And I'm not particularly anxious to show somebody because that person is not here anymore. Yeah. Um, what's your real name? Uh, so, and by that, they very well may mean, uh, what was your name before you changed it? For instance, I went through a name and sex change so that I could get a driver's license and a passport that comports or represents who I really am now. Yeah. Um, so my, what is often referred to as dead name, uh, uh, you know, I've told people, but I'm not anxious to share it. Yep. Uh, some people wonder, when did you decide to be trans? And I, it's, it's interesting because quite frankly, trans is something that in my experience in talking to numerous people who are trans, it's, you don't choose to be, it chooses you. When, when you're born, at some point after you're born, you start to realize 
that your internal gen sense of gender doesn't necessarily align with the, the uh, gender you've been assigned at birth. And for some people, they discover that early and, and try to do something about it. Uh, like some of us, some yeah. of us, as I mentioned, are kind of late bloomers. <laughs> we, we take a while <laughs> to yeah. get there. But um, anyway, so we don't decide. It's, it's, this is not a choice in my mind. Um, so those are some of the things. I guess my basic thing is let the trans person guide the conversation yeah. and, and uh, you know, let them uh, help understand. I, 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 one of the things I do strongly believe in is as a, and one of the reasons I thought it would be great to do this podcast is that, um, as I mentioned, very few people know a trans person. And I, so we have a long way to go to hopefully uh, help people understand who we are. And so I've always felt every time I set foot out the door, I'm an ambassador, ambassadoress, uh, yeah. the trans community. And so I want to put hopefully my best foot forward, even if it doesn't have any clothes on it or maybe a flip-flop, <laughs> if that's it. <laughs> so. That's all you need, Marilyn, is just flip-flops. And, and one, of the, one of the other things you can ask that would, is fine is what pronouns do you use? For instance, oh, I use and her. Yeah. Uh, but you might see a person who looks like me and they might use a little different pronouns. So it's, that's very respectful. What pronouns do you use? So. What other things can you think of that, that would make you and, and others as trans people feel welcome and feel like you know, any a club that you might be at is a place where you belong just as much as anyone else. Well, for me, uh, to begin with, if I, you know, for instance, I mentioned the non-discrimination policy mentioning all genders. Yep. Uh, that sets me up to say, okay, I'll, I'll go there. I, I won't worry about, you know, the fact that I'm trans and how's that going to work. I think for, uh, quite frankly, it's the people you meet. Uh, I would assume, uh, because I've always felt this way, that there are going to be people who really don't like this about me. And I, uh, and to be honest with you, hopefully I don't meet them, but yeah. I, I don't expect to be universally accepted by everybody. But those people that I've met uh, down in Glen Eden, those that I have met at the club here in my area, uh, have been very welcoming, very friendly. Uh, it is interesting to me. I tend to be a shy person, uh, but I found it so almost easier to engage in conversations with people. I don't know if it's because you spend a lot of time talking, you know, kind of getting to know each other, but um, it, it just seemed uh, very comfortable. I, uh, uh, by this, this club that I've gone to, they uh, did a, virtual Halloween karaoke party and I got an invitation. It was a Zoom one, so I uh, joined and there were two couples, I think that, there might've been one more person. Anyway, that, that were, matter of fact, there was uh, one other person that I had already met. And, but when I showed up on Zoom, it was like, oh, Marilyn, hey, how are you? And it's like, boy, I'll tell you, that really feels good. Yeah. That, that really does. And uh, so uh, I'd like more of that. <laughs> so 
can I ask when, when you first took off your clothes as a trans woman, first public opportunity to be naked in front of everybody else, did that feel like a really special moment for you in terms of like sort of owning who you are? I, I, it did. I mean, um, you know, for all my life living as a, a part-time or full-time, I mean, it's all been about the clothes. You want to just try and look as what we refer to as cisgender as possible. So, you know, you try and dress so you don't stand out and, and uh, you spend a lot more time picking out the clothes you're going to wear. I mean, you worry about makeup and, and so a lot of these things. Uh, but when you take your clothes off, uh, it's just you. Although, although uh, I will put in one caveat, uh, besides the wig <laughs> so far, uh, I do uh, wear some eye makeup and lipstick. Mm -hmm. So, but other than that, uh, there I am. There you and, are. And so when I did that, uh, that identity or something as a female, um, from a clothes standpoint, just went away. And, uh, and I just felt good about the body that I have now. Um, and um, I just felt very comfortable in my skin. Uh, I didn't feel uh, embarrassed or um, concerned that people were gonna stare at me. Because as, as far as I could tell, I didn't see anybody staring at me. And this, this goes, uh, for, for the place, uh, the club near me, so. Well, you know, that's, that's how I hope everybody feels when okay. they do social nudity for the first time. And I'm really, really glad that that's how you feel. Yeah, I, one of the things I do struggle with a little bit right now, for instance, I, uh, I would like to join this club, which I've got their application, I plan to submit it, is... Uh, because nobody's asked me anything that, that would uh, lead me to say, well, I'm trans. Uh, but I worry about things like, uh, you know, when you get to meet somebody, you say, oh, do you have kids? Yes, I have kids. And, you know, I have th things go through my mind, like some, some particular, another woman would look at me and go, she had kids, really? Mm. Doesn't look like it. Um, or, uh, you know, anyway, think, things that, um, you know, um, I remember in a conversation at the club here locally and a couple of people were talking about their military service. And, mm. you know, my inclination was I was in the military, which in fact I was, but that was as a guy because up in, at the time I got out of college, we, we had a thing called a draft. Yeah, sure. So, uh, but, you know, it, so I would like to talk about or add stories about my past or something, but some of those stories are as a guy. Yeah. And so if people know I'm trans and hey, that's no problem, you know, uh, it's just another story. Uh, but if they don't know, then the question is, do I let them know? Yeah. And, uh, and how do I let them know? And, and to be honest with you, I, I, and this is not unique to, to meeting people in nudism, uh, social nudism, mm -hmm. is just how are they going to react? So, I mean, it, this is just I don't know, something you've lived with all your life, and it's 
you know, you expect people not to necessarily be jumping up and down for joy. And so uh, uh, it impacts how you uh, look, yeah, look at your it. cautiousness and kind of yeah. revealing that. You know, I think to a lesser extent, a lot of us can understand that as, as nudists, but you know, that's obviously a lot harder, a lot, a lot more at stake, a lot, a lot of, a lot of prejudice that you've had to go through um, that in, in order to get where you are now. Um, well, I've, 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 I mean, I've read things about, you know, when you're naked and you're vulnerable and you have to deal with this vulnerability. Um, but when you're trans, you also have this vulnerability. So it's, it's maybe a double whammy when you're trans and you're naked. Which uh, makes what you're doing here all the more powerful and amazing. Um, you know, I would, I, I really, my, my deep hope is that there's somebody listening to this podcast right now who would like to give social nudity a try, but I, he or she has just, doesn't feel like it might be for them and that they hear your story and are at least comforted in some way to, and, and encouraged to give it a shot. If I can encourage one person to do this in the trans community, I would feel very good because, um, you know, I've read so many stories now, uh, listened to a number of podcasts uh, about uh, how much uh, social nudism is a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing for your life. And, yeah. and, and I would echo that. Uh, and I would hope that they don't preclude having that experience because of being trans. We want, we want social nudity to be for everybody, including trans people. Okay. Marilyn, thank you so much. You're uh, it, just really grateful for you being willing to come, in, come on the podcast, share your story. You know, I know you said you're kind of a shy person. This is probably not your idea of fun, but I really do appreciate you telling this story and hopefully making making that trans person feel a little bit more comfortable about it but also making those people who are already doing social nudity think a little bit about how they might make a trans person feel more welcome yeah. and um and and that's yeah, it's, it's not about parts it's about hearts we'll leave it there that, <laughs> i'm gonna end on there it's not okay about parts, it's about hearts Marilyn, thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. it. Thank you, Scott, for inviting me. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to share. For Nude in the News today, we're looking at an article in Psychology Today. Eight things to know about nudity and your family. Getting naked with your kids. The article is by Dr. Leah Lees and appeared on the Psychology Today website on May 5th, 2019. She starts off with a statement that I think we can all agree with. I believe that nudity should be treated as something natural, but unremarkable. She goes on to say that modeling comfort with and respect for your body can become a basis for healthy body image as your child grows and experiences the changes of adolescence. And I think that that's, for many of us, one of the reasons that we might, you know, 
enter into social nudity as families. We want to have our children see all bodies, see a variety of bodies, young bodies, old bodies, fit bodies, not so fit bodies, and realize that they're all okay. And so the article goes on to say, here are some tips for handling nudity in your family. And I'll just kind of summarize some of them. First one says, be explicit about the fact that there are different cultural rules around nudity. Talks about, you know, in some Northern European communities, whole families will hot tub together naked. In Germany, some public pools will allow their kids to swim naked until the age of six. And, you know, even there, adults may frequently strip down on benches or in parks. But explaining to children the differences, the cultural differences, will help them develop an understanding of appropriate behavior in their own cultural context. Number two, be explicit about the situational rules as they come into play. Being naked in, is normal in some situations and inappropriate in others. Eventually, they will need to be able to manage the display of their body in expected ways, and parents can help learn to do this without instilling a sense of shame. And she's really interested in making sure that, uh, you know, like all of us, that this isn't about shame, that this is about understanding boundaries and what's appropriate in some situations and what's not in others. Number three, set patterns and expectations early. Opposite sex nudity within the family is not unacceptable or traumatizing if it occurs early and within the appropriate contexts, for example. Number four, it's okay to politely compare bodies and ask questions. If you have children, you know this is something that they will do naturally, right? And this process also teaches children what is acceptable to, when it's acceptable to look at other people's bodies and what comments and types of comments can be made. And, you know, listening to the, <laughs> the earlier discussion I had with Matt on compliments, uh, I think it's not just children who sometimes don't get this right. Number five, use nudity as a teaching moment. Teach your children the correct names for each body part, penises, vagina, vulva, breasts, buttocks, whatever. If a child learns to differentiate between body parts, he or she will also be able to differentiate between appropriate and inappropriate touches. Very, very important. Number six, keep eroticism out of the picture. Being naked, even with a partner present, doesn't mean that it's okay to be sexually expressive. And if we're talking about being in a nudist club, that's also a very big no-no. It's something that really can be a problem. And if it's a nudist beach, it's what gets nudist beaches shut down. So um, it says, do not rub or touch a partner in sexually explicit ways, as this may confuse the child. There are all a myriad of reasons why in social nudity, this isn't appropriate, especially family-focused social nudity. Number seven, follow the child's lead. By adolescence, self-consciousness about nudity usually develops regardless of how a child was raised. And there are shows, you know, if you look, Stefan Deshane has done a great uh, job of talking about this. I'll talk about it in an upcoming show. You know, it is an issue. And, um, you know, it, there's, there are things we can do and things we can't about it. But follow the child's lead. Number eight, cultivate lifelong attitudes. Comfort with one's naked body translates into healthy behaviors later in life. Confidence, self-esteem, and body image are intertwined. And when appropriate, with your kids, talk about the differences 
between the bodies you see in the magazines on television and the body that you have or the bodies that they might see in socially nude situations. And frame behaviors like dieting in terms of health rather than appearance. All great things to think about as we're involving our whole family in social nudity, especially our children. Check out the full article on psychologytoday.com and there's a link to it in the show notes. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks again to Matt from Right Nude. And again, you can get the link to his blog and his book in the show notes. And a special thanks to Marilyn for coming on and sharing her remarkable story on this show today. Marilyn, I wish you all the best on your nudist journey. And please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. We have more episodes to come. And please do also reach out to me and tell me what you think about the show. And especially if you're relatively new to nudism and naturism and you're willing to share your story on this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at newnudistpodcast at gmail.com. For our closing quote today, we go to none other than Oscar Wilde. If man were meant to be naked, he would have been born naked. I'm Scott Klein. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you have a great naked day.